0: James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The first time I remember hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ explained to me and responding in a positive way when it was when I was 12 years old or 11. It was at a Trumbull County, Ohio fair. And I went with a couple neighborhood friends. And we were rushing to get to, I can't remember whose parents who were picking us up that night at a certain time. And so, as we were rushing back to the entrance of the the fair, there was an evangelist there, and he had a tent set up. And he said, come on in, boys, come on in, boys. And he, he, he sort of escorted us into his tent, and we didn't quite know what was going on, and he sat us down, and he asked us if we knew for certain that after we died that we would be going to heaven. And we all said, well, no. And then he said, well, what would you say if if God were to ask you about why you should go to heaven, and we all just kind of mumbled, well, I mean, we're not that bad. I mean, we're, you know, we're 12. I mean, we haven't done anything that, that <laughs> bad that, that we know of. And he said, well, that's not good enough. And he very quickly explained that salvation is by faith in Christ, who gave his life for sinners. And then he said, does this sound interesting to you? Would you like to have this salvation? And we all said, yes. And he said, well, repeat after me. And he prayed a prayer, and we repeated the prayer. And then he sent us out, and he told us that we were saved. And then he went on to the next ones, I guess. And as we walked out, my friends thought this was hilarious. They, they were joking about this. I, can't, I think it, was one of the, it wasn't my parents, it was other parents, and they were joking with their parents about what had just happened there. But I was really intrigued by the idea. This was news to me, and it sounded like good news to me. And since that time... I called myself a believer. And because that evangelist sent me out telling me I was saved, I thought I was. But there was a big problem. There was no evidence in my life that anything had changed. Nothing had changed in my life. Uh, There was no increased interest in God, in Christ, in His Word, in His Church, in His commandments. There was no evidence that anything had happened in my life. But, because I had... Believed, as this man had said, and because he told me, well, that's what you do, you repeat this prayer and you're saved, I thought everything was okay. And I was the perfect candidate for the letter of James. <laughs> this was exactly the situation that James was addressing, because there were people in that time, even as there are in our time, who think that they thought, we tend to think that, that by repeating some sort of a formula of faith, that everything's okay. And James was saying, no, faith is even better than that. Faith is even more powerful than that. Faith does more than just get you a, an insurance policy for eternity. And James is concerned, even as people should have been concerned about me, Uh, James was concerned that people who thought they were saved were actually still quite lost, as I was during those years. And he begins, in verse 14, by asking this question. And this question is the question for this whole section, and in some ways, the question for the whole letter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? And what James is saying, the way he asks this question, can that faith save him, in the language he's using here, there are a couple ways to ask a question with a couple different versions of our word, no. No. And we do this by, uh, by, by switching words around, but it's very clear here that James is assuming a negative response. Can that faith save him? He's really saying this, that faith can't save him, can it? And he's presenting this as an obvious answer. Well, of course not. That's the answer. That a faith that does not produce any works cannot save the person who has it. And James is not contrasting two types of faith. A faith without works and a faith with works. He's contrasting someone who says they have faith, but has no works, with faith. And he's saying that faith that doesn't have works is actually dead. That is to say, no faith at all. James likes giving hypothetical examples, and this is the second one in this chapter. He gave a hypothetical example last week. Do you remember? Two people come into the service. One is dressed in fine clothes and has a gold ring, and another man has putrid clothes, and and they receive two different treatments. Now he gives another hypothetical example, and he talks about a situation in which a brother or a sister He mentions both, man and woman, brother or sister, and here he's talking about fellow believers. And we find these fellow believers, they are poorly clothed, they don't have adequate raiment to protect them from the elements, and they're lacking in daily food. They don't have enough food for today. And then he says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that. This is the second time he asks the question, what good is that? And he's putting these things in parallel. What good is it if you have faith, but don't have any works that go along with that faith? And what good is it to the person whom you bless with your words? Go in peace, but you don't give them what they need. What good is that? And he's saying these things are parallel. Neither of those things are any good. It doesn't benefit anybody to have "...a profession with the mouth of faith, but with no works." It doesn't do good to anyone to have uh, somebody bless them with their words without giving them what they need for the body. And that's why he says, he concludes verse 17, "...so also, faith by itself..." And we maybe could hyphenate this in English. He's talking about faith by itself. That is to say, faith without works, if it does not have works, is dead." is dead. What do dead things do? Nothing. Or at best, they rot. They don't do anything. Right? And that's his point here. Faith that does not have works is dead. Now, that's his point. The rest of this section is the proof of that. And he gives us five proofs. Five proofs of that. And that's the rest uh, in verses 18 to 26. And the first proof in verse 18 says this. The way, or rather, the only way to demonstrate faith is by works. There's no other way. That's it. And it's not clear who this someone might be. There's a little bit of confusion here among, uh, among the interpreters about exactly who's talking but, and what the objection is. But it, it, he says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. It's not... It's not entirely clear how this functions in the argument, but this person is at least saying, we can have faith over here, and we can have works over there. That is to say, we can separate these two. So that's the idea of this someone. And then James responds and says, show me your faith. If, If you think you can have faith apart from works, let me see it. Show it to me. Demonstrate it. Make it visible to me without doing anything. And that's obviously an impossibility. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. It's the only way. The only way to show that we have faith. That's the first argument. The second argument is that a correct confession, a correct confession is essential, but does not rise beyond what demons do. This is very strong. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. Does that sound familiar? James is Jewish. James is writing to a probably largely Jewish Christian audience. And if you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, there is the Shema. There is the, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is... One. And so he's repeating that. And he's saying, you can pronounce the Shema. You can pronounce orthodox faith. You can say that there is one God, and you can profess that one God. And he says, great. That's wonderful. You're doing well. But he says, there are other people who can do that as, as well. The demons are orthodox when it comes to monotheism, that there is one God. They are completely orthodox. And they actually do more than you. Because at least they do what? At least they shudder. And, and this, this opponent that he's addressing here, this foolish person, this, this one against whom he's arguing, they don't do anything. And so their faith doesn't rise even to the level of the, the supposed faith or the confession of the demons. That's the second argument. The third argument is from Abraham. Arguing with Jewish people, presenting an argument or a proof to Jewish people, it's always a good idea to refer to Abraham, the father of the faith. And so, he spends some time here, verses 20-24, to talking about Abraham. And he points out that Abraham's faith was accompanied by works. Abraham, father of the faith. And um, he uses... A word play. We've seen how James loves to do these word plays here. This one is, is hard to bring out. Um, but he says uh, in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, we can't bring it out very well in English, but I'll try. Just give you a little bit of the background here. He says, So, works, the word for works is ergon. The word for useless is argay. So, we can even hear the, this is kind of poetic when he says it. He says, Do you want to, do you want to see that faith without argon is argay? So, maybe a, a good wordplay in English that would sort of get at it would be something like this Do you want to see that faith doesn't work? That faith that doesn't work? Doesn't work. Something like that. That that faith without works is workless. Uh, And then he goes on and shows from Abraham. Now Abraham's faith was active. Abraham's faith was active. And the specific work that he mentions here, uh, in verse twenty one, he says. uh, In verse twenty two, he says, "Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar?" Now that's the that's the climactic activity. Uh, that, that expressed Abraham's faith. And that's how, that's how it reads in Genesis, by the way. If you read through Genesis, this is a climax of Abraham's life and, and work, where he takes his own son... The, the son of the promise, and he leads him up to the mountain, and he's about to sacrifice him because God told him to. And then he's prevented, and God provides the substitute that is, uh, is the one who dies instead of the son. If we look at Genesis chapter 22, we, we see how this worked. In 22, if we go back and look at uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, they say this, "...the angel of the Lord..." called to him, from heaven, to Abraham, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said to him, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So, this is fascinating. The, The angel of the Lord says, Now I know. And James tells us, if we go back to James, it says that, The Scripture was fulfilled, verse 23, the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So when was he counted as righteous before God? When he believed. When he believed. And then the angel says, now I know that you fear God. There is a 30-year gap here. There's a 30-year gap. He believed, and he was counted as righteous before God. Thirty years later, the angel says, Now I know. What happened in that, that incident? Abraham demonstrated by his works that he was righteous before God. His faith was, was evident. Any question about Abraham's faith now? Okay, along the way there were some questions, right? There were some shortcuts, there were some doubts. Any questions now that Abraham has genuine faith in God? None whatsoever. It is completely ratified, it is completely obvious, and it says that his faith was filled out. The word that's used here is, is fulfilled, but what it means here is, it, is it's filled out. It's, it's brought to maturation. It is, it is made complete. It is made perfect. By his works. Now, um, notice that James um, recognized that Abraham was justified by believing because he quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Uh, He says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he's not saying that he wasn't justified by his faith, but he's saying he was justified by a faith that does what? It works. It works. And then he goes to what looks like another extreme, and he brings up Rahab. Rahab, and he specifically calls Rahab the prostitute. If you look at verse 25, it says, In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, this is another story from the Old Testament that refers to Long after, Not long after Moses, but after Moses had died, uh, he had led the people out of Egypt, and then uh, he had died, he wasn't able to cross over into the Promised Land, Joshua led the people in the Promised Land, and the first obstacle in the Promised Land was a fortified city called Jericho. But in Jericho, there was a woman who lived there, her name was Rahab, and uh, Joshua sent spies, they found their way to Rahab's place, Rahab hid them, Rahab sent them out, Rahab got the, uh, the, the, the police off their trail, as it were, and they were able to get back, and that was the first victory that the people had in the land. But it says here, Rahab. Rahab confessed the God of Israel. She confessed the God of Israel with her mouth. She professed to be a believer. But she not only professed, she did something about it. She didn't keep it to herself. If you look at Hebrews... Hebrews also mentions Rahab. And in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. By faith, Hebrews says, that worked, James adds. And then uh, the final argument, the fifth argument is this. Oh, by the way, why Abraham and Rahab? Well, you choose the patriarch. And you choose the prostitute. And those are something like opposites in in society. And uh, if if it applies to Abraham, the father of the faith, and if this principle applies to Rahab, to whom else does it apply? Everyone else. Everyone else along the scale. And, And then the final argument is this. It's another illustration in verse 26. And that is, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So he starts with this idea uh, of faith apart from works being dead. He ends with this idea of faith apart from being works as dead. Now, I think this is clear enough, isn't it? The problem with James is usually not a lack of clarity. It's not difficult to grasp what he's saying. Um, He's very straightforward and very strong. But probably, as we read through this text, you sense some, some discomfort if you have been around uh, a Bible-preaching Christian church for a while, and if you were here for our series on Galatians. Because this sounds very different uh, from what Paul has said. And there has been uh, an immeasurable, immeasurable amount of ink spilled <laughs> in an effort to try to say, how does what James is saying relate to what Paul says? And, and let's, let's bring this to the fore. Verse 24 says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But if we go to Romans chapter 3, verse 28, it says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Those on the surface sound like they they flatly contradict each other. They're using similar words, they're using some of the exact same vocabulary, and it sounds like they're saying opposite things. Now, some accept this as a real contradiction. They say, well, Paul believed one thing, James believed another. But that has some very, very serious ramifications, if we're to believe that. That would mean that the New Testament is unclear about a very, very important question. How can we be accepted by God? And if the New Testament is unclear about that very important question, then we are really in a bad situation. Many others have proposed ways to harmonize these verses by saying that James and Paul used certain words in a different way. Uh, some suggest he, they used the words "faith" in a different way. Some suggest they used the words "works," or the word "works" in a different way. Others suggest that they use the word justify in a different way, and uh, others say they use the word by, that is, uh, justified by faith, by works, in a different way. And one or more of these proposals must be correct. One or more of these proposals must be correct, because if you just line up these verses, they, they sound like they contradict each other. So there must be some distinction in the way that they are using these words. But without getting into details of what is a fairly complicated discussion, we need to take into account a few things. And I think this will, will clarify. Paul and James use some of the same keywords and the example of Abraham. They both appeal to the example of Abraham, but with enough variations that they don't seem to be talking to each other. So we ought not to think that James is saying, oh, yeah, or, or Paul saying, no, that's not right. So they don't seem to be aware of each other's writings, and so they're not specifically trying to correct the other one. So we ought not to pit them against each other. The second thing is this. Paul and James were dealing with different situations. Paul was dealing with Jewish legalism. The idea that one could follow the law and obtain acceptance by God. James was dealing with a situation in which people thought that a bare confession of faith that was accurate without any life change was sufficient. So Paul was dealing with Jewish legalism. James was dealing with dead faith. Very different situations. Paul contrasted faith and works. He's saying, you're not justified by works, you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. James was not contrasting faith and works. James was contrasting a so-called faith without works and a real faith that works. So they're not even talking about the same contrast here. Both Paul and James agree that we are saved by believing in Christ. That is what he says in verse 14. He says, "...what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? That faith can't save him, can it? What is the presupposition behind that question?" that faith saves. And so they're both in agreement. They both quote, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. He was justified before God by faith. And what's the difference here? Paul was dealing theologically and very precisely with the way that faith operates in salvation. And James was dealing practically and pastorally with what faith looks like with what faith does in the life of the believer. Paul was denying that works play a role in making a person justified before God and James emphasized that work always accompanied faith. And the final thing is this. Paul and James and for that matter Peter, John, (laughs) Jesus, all of the New Testament writers were in agreement that the faith that saves is faith that works. For example, Jesus, Matthew 7, and here you hear the con- you see the contrast between professing with the mouth and living the life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father will who is in heaven. The words of Jesus. Uh, John, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Peter, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then from Paul, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith doing what? Working. Working through love. And then, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, For we are His what? Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, no, there is not a contradiction uh, between James and Paul or any other New Testament writer. But James is concerned about something else, and we should be concerned about that something else, and that is the possibility of a contradiction in our own lives. Now that we see that there's no contradiction between them, the contradiction that James is combating here is the contradiction between saying we believe and not living that faith out in our lives. When I was a senior in high school, some of my friends began to try to share the Gospel with me. They had become Christians. And I think they were quite surprised when I said, oh yeah, I already believe that. But they didn't laugh in my face, uh, and they were very patient with me, and they began inviting me to spend time with them and other people who really did believe that. And as I got around real Christians, and I heard the the Bible taught and preached, and as I saw their lives, I came to the conclusion that if they're Christians, I'm not. Because they had faith that worked, and I had a so-called faith that was quite dead. Well, by God's grace at that point, when I came to that very, very important realization, and was awakened from my deceptive slumber, God granted me faith. A faith that began to change my life. And began to produce things in me that that were not my effort, were not my doing. An interest in His Word, a love for Him, a love for Christ, an interest in His people, a desire that other people know Him as well. And, I was as surprised as anyone that God was doing this in me. But what was the difference? I saw not only, I not only heard the Word, but I saw real faith lived out in real believers. Um, This faith is available to anyone. And that's good news. Even to someone like me. To someone like Abram, to someone like Rahab, and even someone like me. And this salvation that faith brings, it brings it to us because faith does something very important. It unites us to Christ. And Christ is the one who saves. And He saves by faith in Him. A faith that does what? A faith that works. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for Abraham. We thank You for Rahab. And we thank You for the arresting words of James. Because I was like the people he was addressing as he says, O foolish person. I was a foolish person. I was thinking that a a bare profession many years ago could somehow save me even as I went on in my foolish living. But I thank You that I eventually saw Christian faith lived out, certainly not perfectly, but beautifully and lovingly and kindly and sincerely. And I thank You for granting me faith that was and still is transforming my life more and more into what You want me to be. And I thank You for the faith that I see in so many others. And I pray, O God, that You would enable us to look at our lives through the lens of Your Word and Your Spirit and to see if our faith is a living faith, or if our faith is like the faith of some, and mine was, a dead faith, a no faith at all. And I pray, O God, for You to have mercy on those, even as You had mercy on me, who have this, this no faith, this dead faith, this useless faith, that You would show them their peril, that You would wake them up, and that You would grant them faith in Jesus Christ, a faith that works by love. And I do pray for those who are Your children, believers, that You would enable us not only to confess with our mouths and to believe in our hearts, but to live with our lives this faith that You have given us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.